The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. All right, Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. We'll continue our study, the book of Hebrews. This morning we'll pick up where we left off in verse 3 and we're going to work our way all the way to verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12. Start reading in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. For three months, we studied together Hebrews chapter 11 on faith, what faith is, what a, uh, a life of faith looks like, and is exp- how it's experienced. And we saw that through Old Testament um, lives, Old Testament um, people, what faith is. And then in, in chapter 12, we sort of begin this application of faith, all right, if we're going to have this kind of faith, if we're going to be people of faith and have a, have a faith that is like this, then this is what it looks like every day in our life. And so that was last week, was the beginning of that with verses 1 and 2, and the writer of Hebrews compares the, the life of faith um, to that of a, a marathon or a part of the, of the Greek games, these these Hebrew believers would have understood the, the reference that 
is being made here. Um, that there are those in the, in the Greek games that run their race and that they, they do so by removing from them anything that would slow them down or um, trip them up. And so that's what He calls us to do as believers and followers in the Lord Jesus Christ to, to take off, to lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely and to run with endurance the race that is set before us. That was, that was last week. Well, this week He continues with this um, comparison of, of Greek games, and maybe this one isn't quite as overt as running the race marked before you, but here the writer of Hebrews compares a, a life of faith to that of a boxing match or to that of, of gladiators in the arena. That the Christian life, the life of faith, in many ways is a battle, it's a fight. It's a battle. And his encouragement, his exhortation to us in these verses, again, which has been the theme throughout all of Hebrews, is that in this battle, in this fight of faith, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Here's the, the reality, and it's one that we all know, I think, too well. And that is, is that from time to time, we grow weary. From time to time in the Christian life, things are difficult. Things are hard. We grow tired. We grow weary. And our, our, our souls become downcast. Well, the reality is, and you know it, and I know it, that the Christian life isn't always one of happiness. All you've got to do is read the psalmist. And you'll see. Regularly, the soul is downcast. And it's true for us. The Christian life can be difficult. A life of faith can be hard. It's a battle. It's a... It's a fight. It is difficult as we deal with our own sin. It's difficult as we deal and, and live with the sin of others. And that regularly there are seasons of spiritual depression. And those seasons are real. They're real. And it's okay to admit that. Sort of like a, a giant therapy session here this morning. My name's Jason and I'm downcast. But they're real. And God, by His, His grace, addresses these, these seasons for us and encourages us in these seasons. And I'll just be honest with you. I, I feel that we just might be in that place as a, as a church. Not all of us, but many of us. I, I know you. I know what's, what's happening in your life. I know how 
difficult things can begin to, to be. And I've been here 13 years. And it, it has been 13 years of, of this. And, you know, times when, when things are really going well and there's momentum and there is joy and, and, and we just, you can just sense this, this joy and peace and, and purpose. And then there are seasons where, you know, the, the, the opposite are, are true. And um, it's, it's, you know, we just sort of, for 13 years, been on this, this wave. And I, I keep praying that one day that wave will end. Um, and it, it has just felt that for um, a while now that it's been on, on one of these. You know, it was, it was high the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, as we buy a, a building and get to, to move in here and a lot of momentum and a lot of growth. And, um, and it was just joyful to see what the Lord was, was doing. And I never, I never, I never thought we'd buy a, a building. And, uh, you know, that was the, the end of the beginning of, of 19, the beginning of 20. So then what happens in March of 2020? The, the decline starts, and I think in, in some ways, it's not, it's not abnormal. This, this is the normal conversations that I have with all of my pastor friends, yep. is that the, the church just hasn't seemed to pull out of that. I, don't, I haven't told anybody that's honest, and, and maybe not a mega church, that has said we're we're where we were before a pandemic. Um, so I I feel like maybe this is a place where we are as a congregation. That, that might maybe we've we've grown a little weary. We've forgotten what it what it looks like and what it means to be a, a Christ centered family on mission. That's our, that's our purpose here. And, and some of that's on me. Um, I'm not a very good vision casting, you know, raw the troops pastor. It's just not how I'm, I'm wired. I'd, I'd much rather just preach the Bible. Um, but that's needed some. We're, we're making some plans for, for next year um, along, along those fronts. Um, But this, 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 this weary heart is, is common. It's a common experience for Christians. It's a common experience for me, just being honest with you. Um, you, you know that. I'm I, uh, reminded often of, of Charles Spurgeon, who fought it all, I mean, just a common experience in his life, that of a, of a, of a, of a spiritual depression. I don't, I don't look at a man like Charles Spurgeon, Haddon Spurgeon, I mean, the prince of preachers, for goodness sakes. You know, if, if he fought that from time to time, certainly we, we will. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're in a, in a season where you are fighting to not lose heart. So how do we fight that battle? Well, God, by His grace, gives us the cure. He gives it to us in these verses. And here's the cure. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Verse, verse 3, consider Him 
who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. Consider Him who endured suffering and pain and heartache and hostility. Consider Him. Why? You see it. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What's the cure for a weary heart? What's the the cure for becoming faint-hearted in the life of faith? The cure is to consider Jesus. In verse 2, the author encourages us, to look to Jesus. But here in verse 3, there's, there's, a, there's a different word used. This isn't just would you look to Him or look at Him. This is much more than that. This is a, a Greek word, an elixomai. It's, a, it's an accounting term. And it's, it's related to our word for um, logistics. It, it, it literally means... To, to log something in. That's what it means. It's like you're an accountant for a business and you got to, you got to log in the, the information um, in, in, in the account. It is a record that is kept for what's happened. That's what it means to consider Him. To, to log it into your minds and into your hearts. To make an account of, of Christ Jesus and what He has done. It means that we should meditate on Him. We should focus on Him. Log into our minds the life of Jesus Christ. How He suffered. How the Holy One suffered. How the sinless one suffered at the hands of the sinful. Log it in. Make make an account of his death. Look at his life. Look at his struggles. And how they relate to our own struggles. Look at Christ. Consider him. God in the flesh. And how God ordained. Christ's suffering for His own glory and for our good. Consider Him. Consider how He suffered and died. But don't just stop there. Consider how He is now at the right hand of the Father, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. Consider the cross. But also consider what is beyond the cross. That that beyond the cross, there is for Christ now a great glory because He suffered. Consider that and, and log it in to your system because guess what, church? The same thing by His grace is true for us. After suffering comes glory. This is Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider, there's the word, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the future glory that is to be revealed to us. When we look at Christ, when we consider Him and His suffering and His death and then His exaltation and His rule and reign, 
When we consider Him, His faithfulness, His example, His love, we consider Him so that we don't grow faint-hearted. If Christ was willing to endure such hostility for us, how much more should we be willing to endure for Him? This this is the point of the author. The, The author compares our struggle, our fight, to that of Christ's. He says, consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He did. Christ did. His struggle was was greater than ours, yet He endured in faithfulness. And because He did, church, because Christ did, so can we. Because by faith, He lives in us. The one who endured lives in us and He empowers us to endure. Consider Him, the author says. Don't grow weary and faint-hearted. Don't give up. Endure and do so by considering Him. Consider His life. But also consider His love. Consider His love towards us. And now how do we consider His love towards us? We we consider His love towards us, according to the author, we consider His love towards us by not being confused about the trials we face. Verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when... Reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. You see, it seems that the writer's concern here was that these brothers and sisters not draw the wrong conclusion from the trials that they were facing. And indeed, they were facing great trials and difficulties in these churches to to fall back into Judaism. They were were facing a persecution that we can't even begin to to fathom and difficulties and, and trials. And it is easy, church, when we face hardships or when we face difficulties, when we are in a fight or a battle with sin, to think that that is the evidence that we are out of God's favor. And there's a whole lot that that parades itself around as Christianity that wants to teach that. If things are difficult in your life, if things are hard, if it's a struggle, and if it's a battle, then it's because God's favor is not on you. If God's favor was on you, then your life would be just that of a blessing. They'll tell us that when difficult Difficulties come. This can be true in our own hearts that when difficulties come, it can feel at times 
that God has turned His back on us. But don't forget, the writer says, don't forget. Have you forgotten? Don't forget what the Scriptures teach. I, I, I love that. This, this isn't, don't forget how you feel. Because you can't trust how you feel. I can't trust how I feel. Don't forget the exhortation that addresses you as son. And then I love it. The exhortation he quotes here, it's not from his sermon. It's from the Word. It's from the Word. Don't forget what the Word of God says. In these in difficult, hard times, when it's a struggle and it's a battle, you, you have to trust the Word. You have to trust the Word. Don't forget what the Scriptures teach. And he, he quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. Verse 5. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. See, often these trials, these difficulties, the fight of indwelling sin, they are, mark it down, they are the marker that we are the sons and daughters of God. How can we know that we are the sons and daughters of God. How can we know? We can know it because God disciplines us. Because God disciplines those He loves. That means that the, the difficult seasons in our life are the evidence that God loves us. God disciplines those He loves. He chastises every son whom He receives. The fight of indwelling sin, the chastising hand of God, they are the evidences that He loves us. Because He doesn't want us to remain in sin. He wants us free from sin. He wants us to die to sin and to live for Him. And His way of getting us there is through His discipline. His discipline is the evidence of His love. Now, this, this, is, this is not foreign for most parents to understand. And I put most in there because maybe it is for some. It would be so easy for me as a dad just to let my kids do whatever they want. My life would be much easier if I just said, man, you, you want that? Sure, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And I didn't have to push in. I didn't have to push back. I didn't have to discipline. I just let them be. And you can just be and do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. That sort of hands-off parenting is really easy. And that's probably why so many parents do it. Um, but that isn't the way of love, is it? 
No, we discipline our children because we love them. I discipline my children because I love them, because I know that there is great danger in wrong, bad, sinful decisions. That there is great danger there. And I also know at the same time that there is great blessing in self-control and righteous living. And so if I love my children, then I do everything I can as a dad to keep them away from the danger and to lead them to the blessing. And how do you do it? You do it through discipline. That's how you do it. I didn't get it when I was a kid. They'd be whooping me and say, I'm whipping you because I love you. I don't feel like love. It don't feel like love. But as you grow and mature, guess what? You begin to understand the fact that, that my parents kept me from those things by their hand of discipline was the best thing for me. So as a parent, I try my best to keep my children from that with a hand of discipline because I love them. We discipline our children because we love them. Fatherly love and discipline go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Andrew Murray puts it this way. In every trial, small or great, first of all and at once recognize God's hand in it. Say it once. My Father has allowed this to come. Welcome it from Him. My first care is to glorify Him in it. And He will make it a blessing. We may be sure of this. Let us by faith rejoice in it. These verses talk about the discipline and the chastisement of God. And they're, they're different words, and I think in a, in a way, they mean different things. This word for, for discipline here literally speaks of, of raising a child. It's just as a parent trains up a child, so God leads us through life. And listen, God sends us challenges and hardships, not out of spite, but out of parental love. Because trials are designed to make us stronger, to work out our faith, to move us forward in spiritual growth. How, how, do, how do we understand strength and growth in, in terms of, of, of muscle, right? I mean, that's just, we get it. I get it, you know. How do you, how do you grow strength? How do you grow muscle? You, you grow it by using it, by exercising it. And it's difficult, and it's hard, and it hurts. But in the end, you're better for it. So it is with trials. They, they work, they exercise the muscles of our faith. So that our faith grows and strengthens, and we're, we're better for it. This is... This is the idea of discipline in this, these verses. Here's, here's the question. When we face difficulties, do you think, what is it that God is trying to grow in me? What is it that God is trying to grow in me? 
That's the discipline side. Then there's the, the chastisings. These chastisings, they are God addressing the sin in our life. And they are a means of correction, of punishing sin. This chastisement is not condemnation. This chastisement is, is love. This word for chastising here is, is the word for a scourging or a, a whipping. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a physical, it's a physical punishment. Here's the important thing to, to, to pair this verse with and to understand. This is the Scriptures help us under, understand the Scriptures. That we can read that, this chastising of God, and think that it's, it's God condemning us or God punishing us. But church, remember, Christ bore our punishment. His scourging was ours. He bore it for us. He was condemned so that in Him there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So this chastisement of God, it's not a a condemnation. It's a correction. Therefore, it's for our good. John Calvin says, the scourges of God bear witness of His love towards us. When we face these chastisings, do we ask, what is it that God is trying to remove from me? These are the two questions. What is a loving Father trying to grow in me? And what is our loving Father trying to remove from me? Do we ever stop to ask those questions? In difficult times, in hard circumstances, when we grow weary... What is the Lord trying to grow in me? What is the Lord trying to remove from me? Do we ask those questions? No, usually we ask the questions like, well, what in the world is wrong with all these other people? Why are they like this? Why have they done this? Why have they treated me this way? When it's the loving hand of God trying to grow in us and remove from us things so that we can be more like Him. Do we ever ask these questions? This is totally different than what the world asks. Here's what the world asks. Why in the world would a loving Father allow this? Now Christians should say, why wouldn't He? Because He's trying to either grow something in me or remove something from me. Now make no mistake, God does not author sin or evil. God is not, mark my words, God is not the author of sin or evil. But God does use sin and evil according to His purposes. He is that sovereign. And you can say, well, how, how, are you just, you're just you know, splitting hairs here. You're, you're, you're just parsing words. No. God is so absolutely sovereign that He can at the same time not be the author of sin, but yet use sin according to His purposes. God is so sovereign that He can at the same time not be the author of evil, but yet use evil according to His purposes. He can do those things. 
He can do those things. So what does the writer of Hebrews says? He encourages us, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. And don't lose heart by considering Jesus. Consider His life. Because you haven't struggled to the point of shedding blood like He has. Consider His love and His discipline and chastising hands. Consider Him. That should be our response in the face of trials. Consider Him. When these seasons come, there's a, there's a, there's a number of ways to respond. One way is just a, a defiant resignation. You just, without gratitude, seek to simply just get the struggle over with, and you just try to get through it without much thought as to why. That's how some people are. Now, ah, you know, it is what it is. It's just life. It'll get better. Just a season. Another way is, is self-pity and anger. This one's probably most people. Difficult times come. Why, why me? Why me? What did I do to deserve this? I mean, I'm not as bad as those people. And look how happy and joyful they are. They're worse than me. Why, why me? Why am I like this? You know, I deserve better. So you get angry and have self-pity. Those are ways to respond. But what kind of response does God call us to? He calls us to endurance. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline. Because by faith, when you understand that God loves you and the expression of His love in your life is His discipline, then it is for the sake of discipline that you endure. Because discipline becomes a good thing. Because God, in this discipline, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? It's a rhetorical question. carried a lot more weight back then than it does now. See, there are a number of reasons why we are facing what we are facing. But one thing is for sure, that there is purpose in it. That God is training us for godliness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, that you have been grieved by various trials. You rejoice in them. How in the world can you rejoice in them? You can rejoice in them because the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the, revolution, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is for discipline that we endure because the discipline is good for us because God disciplines those He loves Discipline is necessary. It is necessary. Then the, the writer of Hebrews makes the argument for the necessity of, of uh, discipline, arguing from the lesser to the greater. This is what, he, this is what he does here. The lesser being earthly fathers, and the greater being uh, our heavenly Father. Verse 8. If you are left without discipline, in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Here's the question. Would you rather be a son or an illegitimate child? Well, I'd rather be a son. 
Well, discipline is the mark. He says, besides this, verse 9, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. We had earthly fathers, and they disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? See, he's making a comparison here. This earthly fathers are fleshly fathers. We had fathers of the flesh, and they disciplined us. How much more should we expect and welcome the discipline of the Father that isn't flesh but is spirit? That's, that's the, the question. We respected our, our fleshly fathers for their discipline. Why would we lose heart when the, the heavenly Father disciplines us? For they disciplined us, this is the fleshly, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Now I can relate to this. This is, they, they disciplined us the best they could, but it was full of mistakes. How many times have we disciplined out of anger? How many times have we disciplined out of frustration? How many mistakes have I made? In the discipline of my children. I try my best, but I'm flawed and sinful. I need discipline myself. They disciplined us for a short time. We grew out of it. as what seemed best to, to them. But He, God, He disciplines us for our good. He does so perfectly. Listen, His discipline is perfect because He is perfect. He is the perfect Father. And His discipline is always for our good. It's so that we might get to share in His holiness. Can you imagine sharing in the holiness of God? What unfathomable blessing it must be to say that I share in the holiness of God. How do I get there? I get there as He disciplines me to get out of me sin and to grow in me faith. His discipline is perfect. He is perfect. So don't despise His discipline. See the purpose in His discipline. That's verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's true. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. I love it. This is, this is, a, a, this is alliteration, three Ps. This could be a sermon right here. Discipline seems painful, not pleasant. But in the long run, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This, this is to say that let's just be real and honest that discipline and chastisement of the Lord is not always pleasant. It is difficult. It is painful. Quite frankly, that's the point. God prunes those He loves 
He cuts away what needs to be cut away so that in its place, righteousness and holiness can grow. And that pruning hurts. But church, don't lose heart. See the purpose in it. See the purpose in it. And by faith, trust Him. Trust Him. Consider Him who endured. And endure. Endure knowing that His discipline and His chastisement is the evidence of His love. And consider Jesus. That's what God calls us to do personally, individually, in our life, at all times, to consider Christ Jesus. If you're weary today, if you're faint-hearted today because you're in the face of trials and and difficulties of, of of many kinds, my encouragement to you is the same as the encouragement of the text, and that is to consider Him. Consider Jesus who faithfully endured, and you can faithfully endure. Consider His life and consider His love. Consider His love that's manifest to us through His discipline and His chastisement. Welcome it and ask the Lord, what are you trying to grow in me? Or what are you trying to get out of me? That's what we are called to do as individuals. I think it's also what we're called to do as a church, corporately. To say, okay, Lord, it's a difficult season. So what is it that you're trying to grow in us? a dependence on you, a commitment to the mission, a willingness to go? What are you trying to get out of us? Selfishness, self-centeredness, bitterness, laziness, apathy, Consider Him who endured, and we individually and corporately are called to, by His grace, endure. Father, would You help us have this sort of perspective on our life, on difficulties and trials and heartaches. that in the face of them individually and corporately, we together would consider Jesus and how He endured great suffering, great heartache, great pain at the hands of sinners, though He was sinless. How He endured the cross and considered its shame as nothing compared to the glory that is His now. And how He was exalted high above 
all things. And how he is now reigning at the right hand of the Father. And so would we consider him, his life? Would we consider his love demonstrated towards us in discipline and in chastisement? May we consider these present sufferings as nothing compared to the glory that awaits us as we share in His glory as sons and co-heirs. And how we can know that that is the case because you, O God, lovingly discipline us. And so would we not just in defiance resign ourselves to this is just the way that it is? Or would we not be caught up in self-pity and anger? Woe is me. Why me? What about them? But would we, with eyes of faith, say, What is it that you, O God, are trying to grow in us through your loving hand of discipline? And what is it, O God, that you are trying to remove from us in your loving hand of chastisement? so that we could, by your grace, share in your holiness. Not losing heart, but enduring. Because Christ has endured. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.